MSW Media. Today's episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by our patrons. Our premium subscribers make the show possible, and in return, they get an ad-free feed, access to my personal show notes, the photos submitted in the good news, VIP meet-and-greet and pre-sale event tickets, invites to our private social media groups, and access to bonus content. Become a patron today at patreon.com slash thedailybeans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, November 1st, 2022. Today, the Department of Justice has filed charges against the assailant who attempted to assassinate the Speaker of the House. Officer Harry Dunn and others have testified in the Oath Keepers trial today. Fascism loses in Brazil as Lula beats Bolsonaro. Senator Chris Murphy wants to investigate Saudi Arabia's role in Musk's Twitter takeover. Trump appeals to block his tax returns from being handed over to the House Ways and Means Committee. And the Department of Justice has filed a statement of interest in the Mark Elias lawsuit against Arizona ballot drop box intimidators. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Okay, so we had a little chat before uh, the show, and I have to just (laughs) clear the air here. I am so glad you are here, my friend, and I am so glad you are safe and okay. Thank you. Um, If there's any Beans listeners that happen to be at the event on Saturday, and I know they're all over this country, just know that I'm okay. And for the listeners that don't know what I'm talking about, I was on stage and had um, uh, basically it was almost a fainting uh, episode. I've never had him before, but uh, for those of us that are of a certain age listening, I had a hot flash on stage in front of 2,700 people that quickly went into a situation where I couldn't release the heat from my body and um, almost passed out. But um, we had a paramedic and a couple of doctors I was telling AG. I don't know if anyone saw that the the stories about the White House czar for monkeypox. He's this amazing doctor named Demetrius and the right wing news rags were trying to troll him. But he's this gorgeous gay man and he's all covered in tattoos and he's got this beautiful hairy chest. And he was backstage taking care of me in Washington, D.C. But the human rights campaign did everything they needed to to take care of me. And um, I'm good and solid, and I'll go see the doctor, even though I think this was a one-off. But I just want to say, if you're out there and you're feeling something wrong physically, don't try and be proud. Sit down, leave a situation, ask for help, but listen to your body, okay? That's all I'm asking. But everything's good now, and I'm here. And then you insisted on going back out on stage for the auction, (laughs) and you raised how much? I did. Um, I was able to go back out and do my job. And on my own accord, uh, we raised about $250,000 for the human rights campaign so that for the next nine days before the midterms, we can get out there, kick some ass, knock on doors, and hopefully keep George blue and win some of these other races that we need to, Val Demings, Beto O'Rourke, all of these things. So I was grateful I could get out and do my job. It was important to me. Congratulations on that. And I'm so glad you're okay, my friend. Thank you. Yes, I've never always. fainted before. and Always uh, honor your yeah. body. Always. Yeah. There, there's only been one time. I've had a bunch of panic attacks on stage and hot flashes, but I think one time when I got both at the same time and I had to just sit down and, and like I couldn't go on. Like the show could yeah. not go on. That was it. Sometimes you so just got to take terrifying. care of yourself. Yeah. You absolutely have to. And so $250,000, that's amazing. So I have some more congratulations in order. Today, the Luminati broke the 
fundraising goal, we've raised over $200,000 for the midterms through the How We Win Fund. Yes. So that is y'all, the Leguminati. Thank you so much. And congrats to fucking Brazil and the world because Brazil elected Lula over Bolsonaro in a complete rejection of fascism. The videos that were pouring in from Brazil with the celebrations in the streets and young people and, you know, Lula giving his speech about protecting the rainforests. And it was just absolutely incredible. And I hope we can do the same here in just a week or so. I hope you are right. And what was really uh, good was having people like Trudeau and Biden come out immediately to congratulate the winners to show that these elections are valid. And that was the winner. So it's good. It's good. Yeah. And I don't think he's conceded, but he had there are reports that he will not contest the results. So even he isn't as crazy as like Bannon. So, yeah. (laughs) And I know I said yesterday I was going to dig deeper into the Russian money funneled into the 2018 election. But that story kind of got bumped today to make room for the Nancy Pelosi assassination attempt affidavit release from the Department of Justice. But I will cover the Russia story during the weekly wrap up for patrons this weekend. There are other big stories today we have to cover tomorrow or maybe later in the week, including historic arguments in front of the Supreme Court about affirmative action. I think the arguments are sort of just kind of going through the motions because I have a feeling how this court is already going to rule. But, you know, we do want to cover that. And then two election deniers from True the Vote, that's the Dinesh D'Souza joint, are being jailed for contempt of court. So Please know I'm not ignoring those stories. There's just so much news. And later in the show, we're going to talk to David Rothkopf. He's the host of Deep State Radio. We're going to talk about his new book, American Resistance, the inside story of how the deep state saved the nation. So that's all coming up a little bit later in the show, along with the good news. Right now, we have a lot of uh, news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. So if you spend as much time on Twitter as I do, or follow the news about social media disinformation closely, or if you listened to the beans yesterday, (laughs) you know that right-wing assholes, including Elon Musk himself, Ted Cruz, Don Jr., and many others are spreading anti-LGBTQ plus conspiracy theories and other bullshit about the assassination attempt on Speaker Pelosi that ended in the attempted murder of her 82-year-old husband, Paul. And I am going to give a content warning here for general shittiness, assault, kidnapping, and violence. We heard from Republicans that the assailant was nude, he was in his underwear, that he was left-wing, a dope-smoking hippie, a gay prostitute, uh, a socialist. We've heard he, this was staged by Paul Pelosi, that he knew the assailant, that they were friends or lovers. We heard the right-wing questioning why security wasn't there. They said Paul Pelosi let him in. We've heard this wasn't politically motivated and that it's because of the crime levels in democratically run San Francisco that this happened. Well, the DOJ arrest warrant affidavit is out, and it's a big hearty fuck you to any right-wing asshole, from the shitbag in his mom's basement in Pacoima all the way up to Ted Cruz, that thinks this was anything less than an assassination attempt on Nancy Pelosi and an attempted murder of her husband. This is from the sworn affidavit of an FBI agent, back the blue, right? And a San Francisco PD officer with witness statement. And this is from the full fucking confession of the attacker himself. This is from the FBI agent. I submit there's probable cause to believe that DePape violated the following Title 18 U.S. Code 115A1A by assaulting Paul Pelosi, an immediate family member of a United States official, to wit, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the United States House of Representatives, with intent to retaliate against her on account of the performance of official duties. And 
Title 18 U.S. Code 1201D by attempting to seize or kidnap a U.S. official, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House. So he was after her. At 2.23 a.m., San Francisco Dispatch got a 911 call from Paul. They're going to call him Paul for the rest of this. Located at the Pelosi residence. Paul stated words to the effect that there was a male in the home that the male is going to wait for Nancy. And Paul further conveyed that he does not know who the male is, but the male said his name is David. So Paul didn't know him, and the guy told him his name was David. It confirms the guy also was looking for Nancy. San Francisco Police Department Officer Colby Wilms was able to interview a witness who saw an individual in all black carrying a large bag on his back walking near the Pelosi residence where Witness 1 was parked. Witness 1 was working private security nearby. Witness 1 then heard what sounded like banging on a door or a car and then heard sirens within a minute or two. So there's the security that the right wing keeps asking about. Then here's what the attacker confessed to in a recorded interview after being Mirandized, that he was going to hold Nancy hostage and talk to her. And if Nancy were to tell him the truth, he'd let her go. And if she lied, he was going to break her kneecaps. He was certain that Nancy would not have told the truth. In the course of the interview, he articulated he viewed Nancy as the leader of the pack of lies told by the Democratic Party. He also later explained that by breaking Nancy's kneecaps, she would then have to be wheeled into Congress, which would show other members of Congress there were consequences to actions. He also explained generally he wanted to use Nancy to lure another individual They don't say who that individual is, but that part of this whole affidavit is sticking with me. Who else was he trying to lure? He stated that he broke into the house through a glass door, which was a difficult task that required the use of a hammer. He stated that Pelosi, Paul, was in bed at the time and appeared surprised. He said he told Paul to wake up and he told Paul he was looking for Nancy. Paul responded she was not present. Paul asked how they could resolve the situation. And asked what DePape wanted to do. DePape stated he wanted to tie Paul up so that he could go to sleep because he was tired from having to head carry a backpack to the Pelosi residence. Around this time, according to DePape, the guy himself, he started taking out zip ties from his pocket so he could restrain Paul. Paul moved toward another part of the house. The San Francisco DA actually said he tried to get down into his elevator, but he was stopped by, you know, forcefully by DePape. And they all went back into the bedroom. DePape explained he did not leave after Paul called 911 because much like the American founding fathers with the British, he was fighting against tyranny without the option of surrender. Sound familiar? He also stated that then they went downstairs to the front door. The police arrived, knocked on the door. Pelosi ran over to open it. Pelosi grabbed onto his hammer, DePape's hammer, which was in his hand, DePape's hand. And at this point in the interview, DePape repeated that he did not plan to surrender. He would go through, quote unquote, through Pelosi, Paul. He stated that he pulled the hammer away from Pelosi, swung the hammer towards Pelosi, hit him on the top of the head, and explained that Pelosi's actions resulted in him taking the punishment instead. Absolutely fucking terrifying. And a complete debunking of any right-wing assholery. There will be a link to this affidavit in the show notes if you need to share it with anyone who might still have some sort of weird conspiratorial talking point about what happened. And I do want to explain real quick, Dana, this should just take a second. The Department of Justice is charging these federal crimes, attempting to kidnap the Speaker of the House and retaliating via assault against a direct family member of a public official. 
the murder charges, attempted murder charges, and, you know, all the other in-between charges are being filed by the state. And so they're working together to make sure that no one's stepping on any toes. All the charges are brought either by the feds or by the state. And so that's sort of why there's two different sets of charges here. So if any right-wing conspiracy theorist goes, where's all the state charges? Well, then you can point them in the direction of the uh, tomorrow. There will be an arraignment and uh, a, a filing by San Francisco PD, by the DA, explaining why he needs to be held without bail and all of the charges they are bringing against him locally versus federally. Thank you, A.G. And I just want to say all these assholes out there like Ted Cruz who tweeted, oh, that, you know, they're thinking of Paul and all of this other bullshit at the time that looked really sincere have been followed up by them retweeting conspiracy theories about who this guy was on the left and he belonged to some nudist colony in Berkeley. And so Ted Cruz is continually a piece of shit no matter what comes out of their mouth first. It's usually bullshit because you'll see the real person come out and start retweeting all this stuff, including Elon Musk. So it's it's all been pretty horrible on that side. And um, speaking of that side, a far-right oath keeper who pleaded guilty to his role in trying to disrupt the transition of presidential power broke down on the stand Monday as he testified against his former allies. And this is him being quoted, I'm really sorry for what I did. This is Graydon Young of Florida, who pleaded guilty in June of 2021 to a conspiracy to obstruct justice, excuse me, Congress, both, if you will. Now, halting twice to choke back sobs, Young said he pleaded guilty because he had committed crimes and that in order to, quote, to repent and be forgiven, you have to confess completely and wholly. He went on to say, I won't do anything like that ever again. He said, it's really embarrassing. Young's testimony provided jurors with a firsthand account of the Oath Keeper's preparation to travel to Washington ahead of January 6th and their decision to join the crowd that surged past police and into the Capitol. Young's testimony was the second time a member of the group who pleaded guilty to participating in conspiracy took the stand against his former colleagues. Jason Dolan, another Florida Oath Keeper, testified earlier in this month. Now, Young described feeling deflated as January 6th approach that the anger of the Oath Keepers wouldn't be enough to overturn the 2020 election, and he raised those concerns in Signal, the chat groups that included other Florida Oath Keepers and Rhodes, the national leader of that group. But he said Rhodes regalvanized him by suggesting he might have a direct line of contact with Donald and urging the group to take a stand in Washington. Well, in Washington, Young joined a security detail for one of the speakers at Trump's January 6th Stop the Steal rally before heading to the Capitol with other Oath Keepers. On the way, he heard from Megs that the Capitol had been breached. This is another quote. Unfortunately for me at the time, I meant I felt it as like a Bastille-type moment in history, where in the French Revolution, it was that big turning point moment, Young said. It was exhilarating. I felt like I was going to be an important or integral part of what was happening. Now, Rhodes's attorney grilled Young about whether any of the group's leaders were explicitly told him to storm the Capitol or describe the objectives of the conspiracy. Young said he viewed it as an implicit plan. Young also agreed that as part of his plea negotiations with the government, he hopes to receive a relatively lenient sentence in exchange for his cooperation. Well, we'll fucking see about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and thanks to Kyle Cheney for that story. And also from Kyle, uh, Harry Dunn, my good friend, testified today. As rioters swarmed the Capitol, uh, police were frantically working to evacuate Speaker Nancy Pelosi's staffers barricaded inside her office suite when one of the officers, Harry Dunn, came face to face with members of the Oath Keepers. Dunn's tense exchange with several members of the group were the focal point Monday in the seditious conspiracy trial. 
Some Oath Keepers involved in the encounter have contended that they attempted to assist Harry Dunn, an outnumbered officer, offering to protect him from the encroaching mob. But Dunn testified Monday he recalled no offers of help from the group. Quote, they tried to get past me and I stopped them. They didn't. I did. Dunn said defiantly. He said this under questioning from the Oath Keepers attorneys. Dunn's face-off with members of the Oath Keepers, including Florida leader Kelly Meggs and Kenneth Harrelson, marked the outset of the fifth week of testimony, fifth week of testimony in the trial, and the most complex and significant to emerge from the attack on the Capitol. And it comes as, we know, Pelosi grapples with the aftermath of the attempted murder of her husband. Some aspects of the attack on Pelosi's home from the alleged attacker calls for Where's Nancy to his embrace of election conspiracy theories included eerie echoes of the Capitol breach. Prosecutors displayed video of Dunn's encounter with Megs, Harrelson, and other members of the mob, and Dunn walked them through the exchange. I'm not letting you come this way, Dunn remembered saying. We have dozens of officers down. They're taking us out on stretchers. Y'all are fucking us up, he said. Harrelson's attorney, Brad Gayer, sought to raise questions about Dunn's memory of that day, particularly in his FBI interview about the encounter, when he said he believed members of the Oath Keepers had offered to protect him from the oncoming crowd. Dunn corrected that asshole, saying he was describing two separate encounters. The first came in the Capitol's first floor crypt area atop a stairwell that led to the Lower West Terrace, amid the intense violence happening below. There, he said, a group wearing military-style gear approached and offered to stand between him and the mob at the top of the staircase. But that group, he said, didn't include any of the Oath Keepers today. The ones I saw outside Pelosi's office. The ones who didn't offer to help me. Geyer also wondered whether Dunn's use of profanity with the rioters was unusual, underscoring the extreme physical and mental strain he was under. Quote, that day was the most unusual of occurrences that have occurred in my career, he responded, agreeing he had feelings of fear and anger. Did you experience feelings of betrayal? The Oath Keeper's attorney asked him. During the event, not so much. Afterwards, sure. During the event, it was just about surviving. That was Officer Dunn's testimony today. Such a horrifying day in our history. My God. All right, last story in this section. Um, well, not the last story, but one of them. Democratic Senator Chris Murphy is calling on the federal government to investigate national security concerns raised by Saudi Arabia's role in Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter. This is a new story to me. I have a feeling it's going to be a new story to you. All of the listeners. Saudi Arabian Prince Al-Walid bin Talal helped Musk finance the $44 billion acquisition of Twitter by rolling over his existing $1.9 billion stake in the social media company. The move makes Saudi entities the second largest shareholder in Twitter behind only Musk himself. This is a quote. We should be concerned that the Saudis, who have a clear interest in repressing political speech and impacting U.S. politics, are now the second largest owner of a major social media platform. That's from Murphy. He said that in a tweet on Monday. The Connecticut Democrat urged the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, known as CFIUS, to conduct an investigation into, quote, national security implications of the Saudi involvement. CIFUS, an interagency committee chaired by the U.S. Treasury Department, what they do is they review takeovers of U.S. businesses by foreign buyers and has the ability to block any of those transactions that raise concerns. Even though Musk already closed his Twitter takeover of Twitter last week, it may still be subject to national security review. Now, according to 2021 annual SFIUS report to Congress, the panel has the authority to, quote, review pending or completed transactions if a member of the committee believes there are national security concerns. 
This is a quote. There's a clear national security issue at stake and SFIUS should do a review. That's from Murphy, noting that another major social media platform, which is TikTok, is owned by a Chinese company. And this is uh, the continuation of the quote. This is a dangerous trend and we don't have to accept it. Both the White House and the Treasury Department declined to comment in response to the call from Murphy. But this is a big deal. And I want people to remember there's been a huge stoking in anti-Semitic racist comments on Twitter. Some of them are real. A lot of them are actual bots that are trying, when I say bots, they're Russian interference, they're Russian accounts that are trying to divide us even more. I'm not saying accept it. I'm just saying know that this is a orchestrated situation and hopefully it will get taken care of with some of this investigation. But these aren't necessarily American accounts and American people that are tweeting all of this out. So please remember that. Yeah. And and there is a little bit of a difference. Saudi has been invested in Twitter, but now they own the second largest stake and can bail out for cash. So this is significantly different. It would be like if Oleg Deripaska wanted to take over Facebook. Yeah. Uh, so something to think about. You know, maybe with Devin Nunes becoming the CEO as a go-between. In <laughs> uh, some quick court news before we get to the break here, Donald has appealed to the Supreme Court asking them to stop the House Ways and Means Committee from getting his tax returns, a case that's been in the works for a couple years now. <laughs> We've been covering this. We'll see if SCOTUS issues a stay pending appeal. And we know that Mark Elias of Democracy Docket and the Elias Law Group has sued Arizona groups intimidating voters at the ballot drop boxes and that a Trump-appointed judge blocked his lawsuit. Well, the DOJ has entered the chat. They have filed what's called an SOI, a statement of interest supporting the Mark Elias suit, which is going to be appealed. All right, we will be right back with David Rothkopf. We're going to discuss his new book, American Resistance, the inside story of how the deep state saved the nation. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. And I just wanted to take a second to thank our patrons and tell you about a new weekly wrap-up bonus episode that I'll be recording, a full bonus episode that comes out on the weekends and that'll be for patrons. I know a lot of people have said, man, I miss my beans on the weekends. Well, now we're going to have a weekly wrap-up episode. And for as little as three bucks a month, patrons get the ad-free premium feed. They get access to the new weekend Daily Beans weekly wrap-up episode, pre-sale tickets for live shows, invites to meetups and meet and greets with the hosts, Uh, access to our private social media groups. You get links to our bi-monthly happy hour Q&A on Zoom, plus a whole host of merch, including stickers, mugs, and t-shirts for signing up. And if you can't afford a membership, we have had over a thousand patrons donate a one-year subscription to those who can't swing it. For just 36 bucks a year, you can donate a premium feed to someone in need. And you can also sign up for that program if you want to get on the list to receive one. Or if you want to donate one, just do that at dailybeanspod.com and look for patrons helping patrons. For more information on becoming a premium subscriber, head to patreon.com slash thedailybeans or search for us on Supercast. And thanks so much to all those who make the show possible. Hi, everybody. It's AG from The Daily Beans. Hey, this is Kimberly Johnson, host of the Start Me Up podcast. Hi, it's Frangela from The Final Word and Idiot of the Week podcast. Hi, this is Jody Hamilton of the From the Bunker podcast. Hi, it's Mariah and Steve from from How How We We Win. Win. And we are joining forces to support the How We Win Fund. The midterms are coming and the best way we can fight back against the Republicans is to support Democrats in key battleground states. 
Our democracy is under attack, but we don't agonize. We, we organize. organize. Yes, we do. Together, we can protect and expand our democratic majority this November. We are so close to a Cinna mansion-proof majority in the Senate. Take them out. Join the MSW Media family of podcasts and support the races that need us the most by donating to Swing Left's National Impact Fund. Just one donation goes directly to all of Swing Left's top races. A GOP stoking hate, peddling lies, and suppressing our vote means we need everyone to step up to protect voting rights, civil rights, abortion rights, the environment, constitutional gender equality, the government, our institutions, all the things. Do it. We beat Trumpism before, and together we will make history again. So go to swingleft.org slash fundraise slash how we win to donate what you can, share this with your friends and family, and let's show the GOP that the grassroots persistence is here to stay. This, this is how we win. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm happy to be joined today by a columnist for The Daily Beast, host of Deep State Radio the podcast, and of course, the author of a new book, American Resistance, The Inside Story of How the Deep State Saved the Nation. Please welcome David Rothkopf. Hi, David. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm great. And his sister makes a mean cup, cu- cupcake, I have to say, honestly. My sister is a great baker. <laughs> yeah. So if you, if you get a chance to follow Marissa, you definitely should on Twitter. But uh, what I wanted to talk to you about today, this amazing, incredible book, this is like Sort of the culmination, like, you know, you wake up one day and realize, you know, I've interviewed some of the most important voices and political thought leaders in the country and to talk about how everyone sort of came together to to save democracy um, and save the nation is just absolutely fascinating. Talk about what sort of prompted you to, to write this book. Well, there are a couple of things that prompted me to write it. First of all, you know, I do a podcast like you do. I talk to a lot of these people. And I started to see a pattern, and that is that when all the guardrails were failing, that we thought we could count on, right? We thought we could count on the DOJ during the Trump years, but of course, it be- they became his lawyers. It became impossible to count on them. Uh, so justice being served by them was out of the question. You thought you could possibly count on the Congress of the United States, but they didn't serve their oversight role, and when impeachments came around, they didn't convict. So... You know, some of these, the judiciary also played a role in this. And so the question is, where do you look? Who was stopping Trump? And as it turned out, it was a group of people that you don't often hear about. It was government professionals, civil servants, foreign service officers, military officers, intelligence officers, people who took an oath to the Constitution and put that ahead of party loyalty. And, uh, you know, it was great to talk to them. And the book is really me talking about a hundred of them and them telling their stories. But, you know, as I was writing it, something else became clear. And that is that Trump and the Republican Party now have an agenda. And the agenda is to make it easier to fire these people because they were an effective guardrail against them. They have something called Schedule F, which would let them fire 50,000 of these people. And you start to see that this whole deep state conspiracy theory, which really bubbled, although it's existed for decades and decades, it bubbled up during Trump, 
was not just because they needed another conspiracy theory. Lord knows they have plenty. It's because they fear people who are loyal to something other than them. And, uh, you know, I got to look at it and say, well, how did that work with COVID? How did that work with the Muslim ban? How did that work with the military? How did that work with elections? Um, and so on. And, you know, talk to the people who did it. And, you know, there's some real heroes there. Yeah, that Schedule F stuff really, you know, as, as a former federal government employee, I was like, wait, excuse me? Because, you, know, you know, they had to they had to do a little dance to get rid of me. They had to move my job across country and do the old Mick Mulvaney trick. Right. And so, uh, but, you know, I mean, I was I was a, a GS-14, you know, advising DOD. I wasn't anywhere near, you know, where some of uh, these folks who both you and I have interviewed, like Alexander Vindman and Fiona Hill and, you know, people really close to the levers of power former director of the FBI, Andy McCabe, for example. And and so, you know, it's it's fascinating how deep, well, first of all, how small of an ego there was for him to have reached so deep into, into the government to weed out non-loyalists. I mean, he even changed the wording of the Hatch Act to be about him. Well, I mean, look, I mean, we were dealing with a depraved guy. And I think you know, the reality is when he got into the government, he thought, well, I can run this like my old business, which was a small business. It was a family business. Basically, he got to decide everything. He didn't need advisors. And he thought, well, I can, I can just run this however I want to run it. And all of a sudden, he found out he couldn't. You know, one of the first things he did was impose a Muslim ban. And, he, you know, it wasn't well written. You know, you know, it was illegal in a lot of respects. And it instantly ran into trouble. And he's like, well, wait, I, I don't want to allow brown people into the U.S. I, I'm the president. I got elected. You know, I should be able to do that. And there were lawyers in the Department of Homeland Security and in the State Department and also in the White House and on Capitol Hill who said, well, slow your roll there, brother. There are laws in this country and you've got to, you know, honor those laws and you have to have a reason for doing this. And what they did, they kind of out Trump Trump, you know, Trump. As, as you often talk about on your podcast, his strategy with lawsuits is to drag them out. And their strategy was, okay, well, we have to actually do a study and determine who we can let in and who we can't. That's got to have a national security grounds. And it took them a couple of years, you know, mm-hmm. to actually get to the study. And when they did, there were fewer countries banned than there had been at the beginning. And he went ballistic. <laughs> but, you know, they essentially use the system and the law, as they should. This is not disobedience. This is not insubordination. It's reporting the, to the people they really report to, which is us. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, they, they, uh, they stopped it. And the time after time, whether it was doing that or using a whistleblower or uh, going to a lawyer or going to an IG or going public, if you're Tony Fauci, you know, it you, you're able to make a difference, and and thank God they did because the worst depredations of Donald Trump that we know about are certainly not the worst things he did. Right. You know, I mean, one of the other things that the book does is it reveals just how demented the guy is. You know, and I mean, this is a guy who was like, "Hey, you know those caravans which don't really exist." You know those caravans? Let's launch missiles at Mexico, you know, or calling up the Secretary of Defense at nine o'clock at night and saying, hey, 
time to launch a war against North Korea, or let's put crocodiles in the moat at the southern border, or let's shoot at them, or whatever, you know what I mean? The spikes that come out of the wall, or yeah. Right, yeah, but it was crazy, crazy stuff. And, you know, somebody in the government had to listen, say, yes, sir, let, we'll be back to you on that, and, and, and figure out how to deal with it. And although they weren't obviously 100% effective, they were very effective. Yeah, and 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 that's some, something really important is to use that system as sort of a you know if, if Trump wants to say you know I'm going to delay 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 with all my lawsuits it's like you want to come and work for the government and try to get something done have I got a subcommittee for you like <laughs> no no well you were in the government I was yeah. in the government the first you know I was a political appointee in the Clinton administration I got there and all of a sudden discovered that one of the great powers of the career civil servants was to say yes. You know, you say, okay, I want to do this. And they say, yes, sir, we'll get back to you. And they knew I'd be gone in two and a half years. So they just, you know, played the clock. Yeah. Yeah. And and sometimes that's all you can do. But it's a, it's a very powerful tool to, to follow the rules. Exactly. And, and just put the book right back to them. And, and by the way, you know, the, uh, undoubtedly some, I don't know how, you know, big your MAGA listenership is probably not so big, but <laughs> undoubtedly some MAGA person will get wind of this and go, wait a minute, Trump was elected. He was the president. How dare they do that? And the, and the point is, so is Congress. They wrote the laws. The laws take precedence. And, you know, the, con- the Congress is Article One. The president is not a unique and separate authority. He's part of a mm-hmm. system. And he's got to work within that system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. With all these interviews uh, and, you know, the hundred or so in here, what were some other major through lines that really stood out to you, major themes that sort of came together when you were looking at all these different, uh, all the the folks you talked to? Well, you know, first there were two governments. This is something that Bill Taylor, I don't know if he's been on your show, but Ambassador Taylor uh, talked about. You know, there's a sort of an official government, an unofficial government. The official government's the one we're talking about, works through channels. But in a lot of these cases, there was a, you know, there was kind of a side hustle going on between Trump and Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, so like the Giuliani shadow Ukraine policy right, team. Right, or, right. or you know, or there were parallel ones. You know, on COVID, you had a task force and you had the CDC and so forth, but you had Jared. And Jared was like talking to a bunch of businesses that he knew and trying to profiteer. And Jared... Navarro. Right, and Jared was going, don't, let's not help the blue states. Right. And so, you know, you had these kind of parallel worlds. So that's a that's a theme that runs in this. Um, Another theme is that these people and let's be clear, some of these people, career people who were standing up and being courageous from the beginning. Others, some of them were appointees. They agreed with a number of the ideological, you know, points that Trump was elected on. They may not have opposed everything they should have. But sooner or later, they came a breaking point, even for the worst of them. And I consider, you know, Barr to be among the worst of them. But, you know, you get to January 6th and he's like, uh, no, slow your, you know, even before in December, you know, stop. You know, uh, you can't steal the election. But other cabinet officials and sub cabinet officials would say, no, this is too far. And they'd find a workaround. They'd find a way to deal with it, to deal with issues. So. Trump didn't want to talk about election security. So what did they do? They said, well, we have to talk about it. It's the law. We have an obligation. 
So we're going to have a parallel process. And they created, created sort of a parallel cabinet process that just didn't involve the White House very much and ended up ensuring that the 2020 elections were extremely fair. Or, you know, on issues like Russia, you couldn't talk to Trump about Russia because he thought every time somebody said Russia, they really meant you weren't elected fairly, Mr. President. And so they'd react. And so they would find workarounds for that. And, you know, John Bolton would be like to his staff, don't, you know, do you don't bring this up with him. I'll manage him. You just go and do the thing that, you know, A, you think we ought to do. And, and you know, again, I, I, I got to be clear, I'm not a John Bolton fan. <laughs> but but he and Kirsten Nielsen and Mark Esper and, you know, Jim Mattis and a bunch of these other people, you know, would find ways to deal with the fact that the president was not just inept and was not just uh, erratic, but but he was dangerous sometimes. And and they had to stop the danger. Yeah. And and I think that the the creative ways in which which those those you know those stoppages were were accomplished i think are absolutely fascinating i think this is an incredible book i absolutely love it i chewed through it in like a day and a half david i really really think everyone's going to enjoy reading this it comes out today november 1st it's called american resistance the inside story of how the deep state saved the nation david rothgott thanks so much for joining me today i appreciate it thanks for having me back everybody stick around we'll be right back with the good news I'm Francis Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Are you struggling with the political upheaval of the current moment? Maybe you're trying to figure out how to keep going and fight for a better world. Well, starting in October, we're bringing you a brand new podcast made for the here and now. It's called Living Through It with ECM, a podcast for interesting times. Hosted by me, Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin, a renowned activist and leadership expert, Living Through It hosts weekly interviews with guests who are changing the world from the ground up. We're offering you advice on how to continue working toward a better future in the face of burnout and exhaustion. And our aim is to inspire you, create hope, and share a collective vision for a more just and equitable future. I hope you'll join us on Living Through It with ECM, a podcast for interesting times. Men cannot know the anguish of being ruled ineligible on anatomical grounds beyond one's control. Slaves can perhaps understand eunuchs, too, and perhaps even those doomed nobles like the deposed Emperor Romanos Diogenes, whose eyes have been put out. But not men. This podcast is brought to you by Empress, The Secret History of Anna Kay, the new book by Greg Oliar, now available on Amazon. 
If the truth is ever to be told, I am the only one left to tell it, and tell it I must. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any, any good news, confessions, corrections, Halloween photos, what the mutt, find the cat, anything you want to send us, whoopee stories, a shout out to somebody that's amazing in your life that you care about, send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. We need the good news this week. We really, really do. Again, some really just awesome news. Dana, you raised a quarter of a million dollars for the human rights campaign. Luguminati, you raised $200,000 for Democratic candidates in the midterms. Excellent. Just so, I'm just filled with so much joy. Yeah, just so you know, the money that I raise a lot of the time when I talk about it, AG, it's for the election. It's it's their HRZ uh, Equality Vote Super PAC. So this is going to be going toward these midterm races mm. to try and flip some of these seats. We are doing the best we can all over the place and the Luguminati's kicking ass. So keep it up. Yep. And you already know my predictions. We would gain two House seats and three Senate seats and that Donald will be indicted in the documents case right around the end of the year and in the January 6th insurrection, provided he doesn't just let Georgia do that, probably April or May. Okay, those are my predictions. Long standing for a while now. I mean, well, the documents thing is relatively new. (laughs) Don't worry, there'll be another crime. There's always more crimes. Um, (laughs) What do we call uh, the collective noun for obstructions of justice? We called it a kafefe. He has committed a kafefe of obstructions. Nice. First up for Monica, pronouns she and her. Hello, Beans Queens, longtime Kitchen Table Days listener, first time submitter. I don't even remember how I found you lovely folks, but I sincerely believe the energy we each have inside us to allow us to gravitate toward our people if we learn to listen to our own individual frequencies. Very cool string theory stuff going on with Monica. I love it. This community has done so much to keep me uplifted during dark times. I sincerely thank you for your hard work and keeping us not only informed, but truly educated about what's happening in the world. Attached is my Halloween pet tax. My daughter, Audrey, with her familiar and consummate yogi, Cosmo, a pandemic neighborhood stray who needed over $1,000 of multiple courses of antibiotics and teeth pulling and gonad snipping to become the soft, fat, and happy boy He is today. (laughs) His energy reached through my normally anti-Facebook stance and touched me, asking for our help in April 2020, which we gladly gave. He is a testament to what love can do. And yes, he sat like that on the stairs for a good five minutes. Oh, my goodness. Look at that cat. Look at the cat. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. Cats that sit like people are the best. Oh, so good. And this little beautiful angel in her witch costume. She looks wonderful. Happy Samhain, Monica. Love it. All right. Um, Oh, my God. (laughs) I know. Dog and cat mom, no pronouns given. Hi, Beans, please. I just wanted to share with you my pet's Halloween costume. A year or so back, I saw the pics. You just snorted. A year or so back, I saw the pics showing up everywhere of a little chihuahua named Whiskey in a Stephen King Pennywise costume for Halloween. Oh, my God. So funny. All right. Well, that cracked me up so much that I wanted to make the same thing for my dog. So I made a clown blouse and a wig and put it on a few of my pets. I have three dogs and three cats. 
that. <laughs> None of them were very happy about it, but I'm bigger than them. So they have to put up with it. Yes, atta- you have the thumbs. You I've have a- the thumbs. You I attach the pictures. I hope you enjoy. P.S. I've sent you pics once before of my Michonne Eddie in his Halloween shirt. This is Eddie again, this time with his friends Truffles the cat and Jasmine the palm tree. My fucking God. Oh my God. <laughs> that first picture is just not right. The second picture. <laughs> you are getting the side of the fucking. I'm surprised this cat did not scratch your face <laughs> off. <laughs> Definitely oh, mad, though. So... That's a mad kitty. These are so amazing. Oh my God. So good. Thank you so much for that. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Oh, I needed that. My cheeks hurt from laughing. All right, Peter, pronouns he and him. Hi, AG and DG. I'm in a bit of a mood this Halloween. So I combined my last two years' costumes to see how many purists I can piss off. This year, when I'm handing out candy, I'm going to introduce myself as, Hi, I'm Mandalorian, and my name is Bruce Wayne. But you can call me by my superhero name, Gandalf, and this is my axe, Stormbreaker. Okay, let me see if I can get all these things. we got Mandalorian. Bruce Wayne is Batman. Superhero Gandalf is a wizard from Lord of the Rings. And Stormbreaker, I think, is the the um, the dwarf's axe, isn't it? I, or oh, honey, you're asking the wrong lesbian. Is I'm sorry. it something from Game of Thrones? Possibly. Uh, for Podpat Tax, let me just say that it's not worth the blood loss to try to get my cat Juno into a costume. See? <laughs> so here is a find the cat entry. She may be a little tricky as she's a master of hiding and you may not be able to see how she has hidden herself in some packaging. Ooh, a hint. Keep up the good fight. Oh, yeah. Boy, what a master at hiding. Oh, my God. Hilarious. <laughs> oh, that's so great. I love your uh, Mandalorian Batman Stormbreaker so Gandalf good. costume. That's wonderful. So good. All right. This is from Dan. Pronouns he him. Hello, Lady Legumes. I'm a new listener. Only been here for about a month. I so appreciate that you're able to dish out the news while maintaining your spunk and emotional attachment to the stories. I work in green energy as a wind turbine technician. Oh, be careful, Dan. You know what they say about the wind turbines. (laughs) And I love listening to you while I climb up my 300 foot tall tower. I look forward to being here, Jesus, for a long, long time. For pet tax and guess the mud, I submit to you my medium ball of anxiety, Duke. Oh my God, look at Duke's face. He's an absolute goober, but I just love him just the same. Okay, so there's some there's some Roddy and Lab and Healer. Shepherd? And Chow no. Chow, of course. I wonder if there's any pity in that baby. Oh my God, look at that last photo. It's so cute. Oh my God, let's see. All right, I, we I, have Mountain Cur, Australian Shepherd, and a little bit of Pibble. Oh, there you go. I would have said Dobie, but so I would have been wrong on that, but I wonder if the Dobie re- uh, looks like any of the other ones. Anyway, uh, the next one's yeah, on you. And I don't believe you, Dan, that there's no Chow Chow in that dog. There, yeah. there is. There's Chow in every dog. Yeah. All right, next up from Austin, pronouns he and him. Hi, Allison and Dana and the rest. A while back, you asked for creators to submit their work and get a shout out. And I'm hoping you're still in that business. Shameless bribery of pet tax is attached. I am a dungeon master. Not that kind. I've been running and writing role-playing campaigns for the last 15 years or so, beginning in college. And I'm looking for four to six people who might be interested in a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition campaign in space. I feel like I should have... a. Uh, have the editor have the have our producer put a little echo on my thing right there so if i say who might be interested in dungeons and dragons fifth edition campaign in space maybe hopefully but you know what would be really funny is if she didn't yeah 
(laughs) (laughs) I use a website for my required character information and a digital dice roller so you can join the world of adventure as easily as you check social media. No need to block out specific times, buy books, dice, or pencils, or even put on pants to join the sci-fi adventure. If you've never played before and want to try it out, or if you're a seasoned adventurer with your 10-foot pole ready at the moment's notice, I'd love to tell a story with you. For anyone interested, please send a message on Discord. The link to the Discord will be in the show notes. The invitation will be open for two weeks, ending November 13th. And finally, my pet taxes, Millie and Jubilee, our two dogs who are meeting a stray cat who wandered into our home and proceeded to entirely ignore them until we could adopt the feline to a loving household that doesn't have crippling cat allergies. Millie is the American bulldog, probably. And Jubilee is the one with the ears so large she can hear your thoughts. (laughs) And she loves you for all the thoughts she hears. Oh, look at these babies. (laughs) The one on the left is so goofy. I know, Millie. Oh, my goodness. All right, you got the last one. I'll take it away. This is from Carol, pronouns she and her. I took my 19-year-old daughter to vote last week. As she was signing in, I blurted out, It's her first time. Then man signing her in yelled out, we have a first time voter. And the room erupted in applause. My daughter went to melt into the floor. But after she voted, I wanted to do cartwheels. I was so proud of her and just filled with love for all those nice people. I'll never forget this day. I think there are a lot of young voters coming out in this election that are going to surprise a whole lot of people. I think the younger generation's had enough of this bullshit, and I hope that they're getting out and voting so their voices can be heard. Yeah, they know. Roe, you know, the Dobbs decision, climate. Yeah. They they know. Guns, the fucking, guns, guns. Yeah, guns, gun violence. They know it's all on the fucking line. And uh, the, the youth turnout vote is, from the numbers that I'm seeing so far, is absolutely blowing away 2018 and 2020. So... Whew, that's so cool. We have a first-time voter in the room. All that's so great, right? Oh, I know it's probably embarrassing for the for the child, but you know, <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. You know, when I used to have uh, when I was at the store, Dana, when I was a little girl, and I if I wanted like some Fruit Loops or whatever the fuck, and my mom wouldn't give them to me, and I'd start crying, eh, you know, and throwing a tantrum like a like two and three year olds do. Yeah, my mom would grab like a a pot off of the you know they used to sell pots and pans in the grocery store. She'd grab a pot and like a big wooden spoon and start banging it and marching up and down the aisle saying, attention shoppers, attention shoppers. My daughter didn't get her Fruit Loops and she wants you to know she's really mad. Attention shoppers. And I would just like, oh, I like shut up and be like, oh, I just sit there. That's mortified. (laughs) Amazing. And then I spent my life on stages as a comic working it out. Of course. I have a story that I could beat that. I'm not sure if I want to tell it on the air. I'll tell you one day, but it's amazing. My mother, I think parents just sometimes they, they go to lengths to stop uh, imp- inappropriate behavior by their children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. Now, now I feel like we have to know, maybe, maybe tell it and we'll so, play it for patrons. Yeah, we can play it for everybody. It's just my mother raised three of us on her own working three part-time jobs. She is incredible. She's my best friend. She's a wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, And I don't want to throw anyone else in the family under the bus, but I and someone else in my family um, stole things from time to time, like convenience stores. We'd steal, you know, candy or whatever. And sometimes um, from the house. And my mom took us to jail. My mom took us to the city jail and said, lock them up. They won't stop stealing. And the the person behind the the counter was like, lady, are you serious? Because she didn't call ahead. 
and just scared the <laughs> she just drove us to jail. And it was the best thing she could have done because I'd never stole anything after that ever again. Oh my God. Oh she had had enough. She'd had enough. They didn't actually like lock you up or no. anything. No. Right? And the guy after a minute, I think, caught on to everything, but we were just, you know, scared st- enough that she was like, all right, then this is what happens to people that steal. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. I know. She's amazing. Yeah, I'm going to have to call my mom and thank her for never just actually driving me to jail. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good story. If my mother, please don't ever, and no one tweet about this on social media. Every once in a while, my mom sees Twitter, so please don't tell her I threw her under the bus. <laughs> the 70s were another time. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she drove you in the station wagon in the way back with no seatbelts and no helmets. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's exactly. Uh-huh, and I drink from a fucking hose, that's for sure. <laughs> totally. Thank you so much, everyone, for for all your submissions. If you have any good news you want to send us, please do so by going to dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. If you want to send us a story about how your mom scared you straight. <laughs> oh, yes, please, please do. do. Uh, we would love to hear that story. That would be so fun. Uh, but, you know, the Whoopi stories are, are cuter. But I mean, you know, my these mom are going to be funnier up and down high, <laughs> high stepping, like high kneeing it, marching, <laughs> pounding on the pots and pans saying, pay attention to my daughter. She really wants attention right now. Oh, my God. So good. That's just those are, you know, memories, just fun memories. I need to call my mom, tell her I love her. All right, everybody. Uh, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here, Dana? No, like I said at the beginning of the episode, just take care of yourselves, please. And meaning your bodies, listen to your bodies. That's all I ask. Yes, 100 percent. So glad you're good and safe and, and healthy, my friend. Um, thank you. Whew. Thank you for thank you for coming back to us. <laughs> everybody now, seriously, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. And take a, like a thousand people with you, please. A thousandy million. Uh, <laughs> I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.